Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Well, he's well on his way to his best ever season, but he's got the high profile horses to help him as well. 63 winners for this campaign and counting and the assistance of some of the country's most powerful owners, most notably Andrew and Kate Brooks and some of the best trainers as well. He is, of course, Gavin Sheehan. Don't let me down after that build up. <laughs> it's good build up. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's a build up that's well, well warranted. I don't suppose, even though you're an optimist, that you could have imagined this season could have gone quite as well as it has. No, um, I knew I had um, a good start in that, but it was just trying to keep the ball rolling, and it has kept on rolling, which I'm lucky enough. Um, but we need to keep pushing now on to Cheltenham and Aintree. So just before we, we go back in time a little bit, worth looking forward, it, it appears as though there's some serious horses for, for the Cheltenham Festival. Yesterday's winner, Rouge Vive, Itchy Feet, Simply the Bets, San Calvados, they'll all, they'll all turn up there in those Brooks Colours. Yeah, yeah, very much looking forward to them. Um, you just need to put our heads together and see which race we'll run them in. Um, but yeah, they're exciting and you know, the few of them have form around Cheltenham as well, which is good. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And of course, your breakthrough Cheltenham Festival winner a few years ago on, on Cole Harden. But take me right back to the start because... I'm right in thinking you don't really come from a from a horse racing background, and indeed your your mother, the last thing she wanted was for you to become a jockey. How did you manage to defy her and defy the odds? Yeah, our family, um, you know, I've got three brothers and two sisters, um, but we were all always into sports. Father was big into sports. We'd done hurling in football, soccer, you name it, we kind of did it. Um, but I don't know, for whatever reason, I kind of got into horses, and I was lucky enough that I have a good base down in Dunmanway, West Cork, um, that they were big into horse racing, uh, pony racing more so than anything. Um, but there was Castle Racing Syndicate, um, a team of lads, Davy Keane there was uh, brilliant. Uh, he was the, the Aidan O'Brien, Vincent O'Brien of the pony racing. Um, but yeah, I just kind of went up messing around in ponies, kind of falling off and getting back on and messing away that way. But um, it just built from all of that really just messing around and bought myself a donkey and tried to to break that in myself off reading a book I'd, a bit that was about that size for probably a shy horse um, put that in his mouth and tried to break him but <laughs> yeah um, a lot of good stories back then um, messing around with Barry Donovan and the the, the ponies up there the little 12-2 ponies and um, yeah just pony racing kind of I had a good break pony racing and Rode a lot of nice, nice horses. Um, Shaker Bar was probably the main one. Um, he won a couple of times at Dingle. Um, the famous Dingle Derby. 
not the Dingle Derby, the Golden Mile, which the was the, mile. the champion hurdle, if you like. Um, but yeah, it was just always a good buzz. I, I'd always good atmosphere. Um, Rodo for Jerry Cully, um, Robert Heiner, um, John Murphy, uh, and just good friends and good fun. And I thought, thought this is what I wanted to do. So, how young an age were you already feeling that you were sort of a competitive rider? Um, probably when I was about 19. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got into it when I was about 11 or 12, I'd say. Um, done it for a bit of fun, and then I kind of when I went up to Michael Harrigan's point to point, and he kind of sat me down one day, and he said, "This is a business, not a not a hobby." Um, but I ended up um, going to John Murphy's as uh, riding out, riding 21 races as an amateur, and then got a fall and made the big move over to England. I just want you to rewind a little bit because I can't let anyone say that they've had a sit-down conversation with Michael Hurrigan without expanding on it a little bit because this is one of the important characters of the game. You don't hear so much of him, haven't heard so much of him in the last decade, but when he was in his pomp, he was he was quite a force to be reckoned with. He was, yeah. Um, he did a lot of good horses, didn't he? He seemed to be for Salmon there the other day. Um, a lot of good horses, but he, he had a lot of good jockeys went through him. And, you know, the... There's a, a lot of ground in at Michael Arrogance. He was brilliant, um, and you know he, he gave me a lot of help. Um, I didn't know an awful lot about jumping at the time, and I used to school there quite regularly. Um, lived inside his house for a couple of couple of weeks. Um, actually, with Adrian Heskin, he kind of went. He was there a little bit before me, but yeah, it was just good ground in there, and you kind of learned your job. But I kind of. Um, didn't really take it too much as a job <laughs> at the time, and he kind of said that to me. Um, you know, and he, I was riding point to points, you know, so he was trying to win point to points with them and then sell them on. And mm. you know, I just enjoying the whole game a bit too much and not taking it probably serious enough. You came to England and, and joined and joined Charlie Mann, and you've often talked about the grounding that he gave you. It, it, and if you were saying that you were a bit lacking in focus or you weren't taking it seriously how did how did Charlie make you apply yourself when you when you went there um, well when I went there to be fair he lovely place Lambourne um, you know really is and he didn't have a conditional there at the time I'd know Feely so you know I used to try and base myself off Noel um, but anytime we went racing he was go racing with Charlie and he told me walk the track and they'd go around there he'd bring me in and kind of go through the races with me you know it wasn't ride the horse and that's that it was do the whole process and uh, I can remember going to Cheltenham with him one day and he was driving and asked me did I ride around the chase course there I said no he said have you rode over hurdles there I said no he said have you ever been to Cheltenham I said no <laughs> he said jeez if I had known that I wouldn't have put you on the horse <laughs> uh, um, bench warrant I finished third and him. he got me a picture and I only got it when I got back home or the following day and he said uh, you can have that picture I said oh brilliant thanks very much I said, lovely picture me riding bench warrant around Cheltenham and he said uh, yeah but you have to do all my the stones and on my drive so I had to go picking weeds for the next couple of weeks to, to get the picture but that was you had to work for what you got I worked hard inside in Charlie's and I reaped the rewards I had seven winners my first year with Charlie and I had 24 the next year with Charlie Man. Because he's a, 
an interesting guy. We've had him on the show. He he doesn't conform to to type. He doesn't behave the way that necessarily all other trainers do. He's his own man. Do you think that was an advantage for you, that he was someone who was just prepared to do his own thing and treat you perhaps slightly differently to how other trainers would their conditional jockeys? I think it was great for me, really, that he um, he made me work for what I got. But Charlie was very fair, and he's been mm. very good to his jockeys. Um, and Noel Feely always says the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, David Cross was there at the time as well, and he was a champion amateur. Um, but he's just he's got good grounding, he's good horses. He kind of done things right. You know, it was. I think a lot of people nowadays almost have things a bit too easy. They've got days off, evenings off, one evening off a week, and things. And obviously times are changing, but you go to Charlie Mann's and you know you had to. I had to work through lunch times, showing horses for owners. But that was great for me, you know, speaking to owners and things at lunchtime as well. And it was just all good grounding, and you know he'd done the simple things right. You're an old head, but you're still only 28, 27, 27, not even 28. <laughs> and it, it, it's well worth remembering, in a sense, that you, you've crammed an awful lot into a, into a very short space of time. But I always get the feeling when I, when I talk to you and when I, when I watch you and when I, I hear you talk that you wanted everything to go quicker. You wanted the success to come more quickly. You were impatient and hungry for that success very early. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, you know, now I'm kind of looking towards the future, whereas my future was the next day. It was Everything was going to happen now. Um, yeah, I was a bit impatient, but... I think we are kind of in this game. Um, yeah, I wanted the big winners and the big success straight away, but because I had that good grounding and things, it's it's made me mature and you know kind of more look to the future and there's bigger and better days ahead. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. I'm afraid the season has been truncated for one of Ireland's great young stars, Jack Kennedy. No sooner had he won the Gold Cup at Punchestown, uh, beg your pardon, at Leopardstown last week on Delta Work, now one of the leading fancies for the Gold Cup at Cheltenham, than he was to, to break his femur in the, in the very next race. It's a, a wretched stroke of ill fortune for him, and he has suffered with injuries quite a bit over the last couple of years. He remains an enormously exciting talent, and Gordon Elliott was at pains to say that when he comes back, he and the whole uh, Jigginstown team are going to be standing right behind Jack and giving him plenty more high-profile rides. And uh, this week, uh, Kevin O'Ryan caught up with Jack to talk about that extraordinary turbulent weekend uh, seven days ago. Yeah, um, it was just simple enough. I will fall. I felt probably shouldn't have fallen off him in the first place, but I did. And the horse coming behind me stood on my leg, and that's what done the damage. So um, that's the all part of the game. And uh, I suppose if it happened an hour earlier, I wouldn't have had the Gold Cup winner on Delta Work. So I suppose that's the way I look at it anyway. And it's the right way to look at it, because it is a bitter pill to swallow, no matter what way you look at it. But it could have very easily happened in the handicap hurdle free. Yeah, exactly. Um that's that's it. That's the way it goes. But it, at least I got a, I got a, a big winner on the day anyway, so it was great. And Jack, everybody that day watching it, I included. I was standing with your brother Paddy and your dad Billy in the parade ring watching the big screen. We were kind of laughing when Jack had to fall off. That we never, I don't think anybody did think what was after uh, what had happened until when you swinged into the straight and obviously the last fence was dolled off. Yeah, exactly. Um, sure, anyone looking on it looked like a simple fall. Um, like I said, it was just the horse coming behind me done the damage and uh, it was unfortunate, but uh, it's all part of the game. 
Exactly, and Jack, you were brought to Vincent's. You were operated on a Monday. Operated on a Monday, yeah. Um, they were very, very good in Vincent's, and I was left out on Tuesday evening. So um, I must go back for a check-up in two weeks, and I probably know more then about um, how long I'd be on the sidelines for. But... Uh, Hopefully it won't be too long in here. And obviously no cast a brace on it. You've broken your femur previous, couple of years ago, 2017 was it, but it was the other leg? Yeah, it was the other leg. I was, I was off for three months with that, so I suppose I'm probably looking at three months anyway. Um, but um, yeah, it's handy, there's no casts on it or anything. I'm it's a little bit of movement in it, so uh, that helps. So um, that's it now. Yeah. And Jack, you've ridden what 35 winners this season. You've really only theoretically ridden for just under four months since Punchestown last season. You've had a torrid time with injuries. In that. Yeah, um, I just haven't got a clear run of it at all. And when things are back going good again, I end up something else happens but um, hopefully I might get them all out of the way and get a couple of, a couple of years at it with a clear run hopefully when I'm back but um, it's probably unlikely as well but sure we'll keep going in it. And Jack, just going back to Delta work he was he was very, very good the other day, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought there was a lot of there was a big improvement in him since Christmas um, the way he picked him up going to the last and he only was doing the bare minimum up, up the straight after jumping the last um, he he was very impressive to me anyway yeah. and to be fair to him he used to be quite keen in the past hence he runs in the hood if anything he's matured mentally over the winter or over the summer sorry. yeah exactly he's relaxed and lovely in his races now and it um, makes life a lot easier on the jockey riding him because um I suppose his jumping has been a little bit iffy at times in the past and I think that's due to him being a little bit keen and when he relaxes he jumps better so um, he's, uh, he's, he's a lot simpler now, yeah. And as you say, he was just idling from the back of the last. You never looked like you were going to get beat, you just were just doing enough, wasn't he? Yeah, I just had to keep him up to it a little bit but um, I suppose that's probably a reflection as well on, on how much he's he's relaxing. Um normally he'd be a sort of a, a tear away and he'd go he'd be hired on himself but at least now he's um he's relaxing a lot better. Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well, another horse at Warwick yesterday who put distance between himself and his rivals was your horse who won the Kingmaker, Novice's Chase, um, Rouge Vif. So while we're on Warwick, we may as well stick with this because you won the feature there. Do, do you think he's improved since he was second earlier in the, in the season or, or, or do you think that's a sort of fair reflection of, of where he's at at the moment? I think he's improved. Um, the ground yesterday didn't ride too bad. It rode probably on the better side than we've been running on all year. Mm. And I think that probably brought out the best of him. Um, I got some spin off him yesterday, I really enjoyed him. Um, he jumped from fence to fence and around there, the five down the back there, they take some jumping and he didn't miss a beat. He winged the fourth last and the third last and kind of just pricked his ears just before he turned in so he filled himself up and we were away again and like he's, he's winged up over the last two and he, he galloped on strongly all the way to the line. And the horse in second place, Newby Negra, had finished second behind Esprit Large in the Henry VIII just before Christmas so it's pretty fair form yeah it's good form um, you know and it was kind of a little bit open that race as well 
um, yesterday, but he, uh, he put it to bed anyway. So how would you compare this horse with Itchy Feet, who won the, the Henry, uh, the Silly Arse for you last weekend? Um, I love Roosevelt. He's one of my favourites. I schooled him last Wednesday and he was just electric. Um, you know, he, he's got plenty of class, but he's got plenty of guts as well. And we kind of get on well together. Um, he likes to be positive and um, he's, he's a very nice horse, whereas Itchy Feet, you can hold him up. Um, you know, he was very impre- impressive around Sandown the last day for his second run over fences. Um, Itchy Feet just, he might, it's hard to say, but he probably just has that extra little bit of class about him uh, that you can take your time in him and just produce him probably a bit late on. But um, he's two and a half miler, Rouge is two miler. Now, it's not often you see a jockey cantering back down the down the walkway with after, the they've, after they've won a race with a, with a smile on their face. Now, they, you were in a bit of a rush, to be fair, yesterday, weren't you, to try and get from Warwick having won that to, to Newbury. Um, but, you know, when you've, when you've got the helicopter laid on, you don't really need to be cantering back down the walkway. I, uh, I was smiling immediately after because he won well. Um, but that was probably a nervous smile when I was cantering down because I was getting on a small little helicopter. In a gale. Um, and the storm was in on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking that wind up there, he had Paddy Brennan and Tom Skew inside um, making me nervous beforehand. But look, I, I had a good spin over with Ollie Garner. Um, you know, I made in 40 minutes or something like that, just took her time. Um, Tom Garner was in the back. so That would have made me very nervous. It was a bit nervous. Um, I probably didn't. It took me about half an hour, I'd say, to settle down into it. Um, but yeah, I got out and sprinted over. Um, obviously, I had the Banner King Rebel, um, so I was looking forward to him. I was more thinking about him now than I was anything else. But when you're in a small helicopter like that and any bit of wind at all, your heart is in your mouth. <laughs> and that was the jockey Tom Garner, that, who's better known for his exploits now in America, of course. He's American steeplechase oh, jockey. Grade one. Yeah, grade one winning yeah. jockey. Was he just there to carry your bag yesterday? Yeah, he said he'd um, get on ITV. That was his thing. He said, I'd get on ITV and racing TV. He said, uh, if I carry your bag. Said, There's no way he said racing TV. You're just being, you're just being <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> <I have to laughs> say the only way Garner was going to get on ITV was to carry your bag away from the helicopter. Yeah, he thought he was going to get a bit of an interview as well, but... Sadly, no, he didn't. Didn't happen. No. A Banner King Rebel, a bit disappointing. He was a bit disappointing. Um, you know, I quietly fancied him kind of going into the Supreme. I thought the, the way the race would be run yesterday, I thought it suited me down to the ground. Where, where I jumped off, I had a perfect position. Um, tracked Aidan Coleman down the paint. He hung slightly to the left, even though he was down the inside. But um, it wasn't his true running. Mm. And I think we'd just go back and kind of bang our heads together and come up with a something that might just work from next time. But just let him just chill for a bit. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Cornelius Lyser, take it away with the highlight of yesterday, Altior winning the, the game Spirit Chase. It was simply magnificent, I thought. Um, I think one of the great things about national hunt racing in particular is the way that they're around so long that they can start there, they can get up there, they can go down and up and down. And the national hunt crowd loves nothing more than a, than a horse who's who's had a blip he's had a little bit of a bump in the road and has come back and if you think back you know Corto Star did it Denman did it Sprinter Sacra did it and Altior and there's an argument of course that he didn't really have a bump in the road uh, that uh, he was beaten in too long a race um, by a very good opponent uh, before Christmas uh, he was hardly disgraced anyway was he but this today was 
magnificent. And what was so nice about Newbury yesterday was the appreciation from the crowds. And to be fair, not just for Altior, but for Native River as well. Not, obviously, he's not had any particular blips, but the way he won, just for a stride or two here, you thought, he's going to be all right, isn't he, Altior? But um, he pretty soon puts, puts it to bed when push comes to shove. The funny thing is, Tom, that watching this, and he, he's been shoved along by Nico now, even though you've seen it ten times before, him threatened to come off the bridle and then power home, there's still a bit of you that thinks, oh, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Not very much, so he had that flat spot, and the horse has got unbelievable courage. Um, a couple of years ago, I saw him last year, was at Sandown after, at the end of the season on very soft ground. He looked absolutely exhausted, and you kept on thinking, is he going to come back after that? Yeah. He's been through the pain barrier that day, and he's still got the appetite for it. It's an unbelievable performance. He certainly has. Um, and, Gavin, it's probably worth noting that the defeat in those 21 starts came against a horse for whom two miles and five round Ascot on soft ground is absolutely ideal and indeed who was rated a pound superior to him so it was as Cornelius said hardly a bump in the road yeah I'd agree um, you know he's obviously stepping up a trip um, you know that um, surname I mean he's been brilliant around Ascot that's mm. probably his favourite track um, you know but I think he was primed for that day whereas Altier probably wasn't um, but because he got beat, it made the next that win yesterday probably all the sweeter. And I, I don't know. It's it's my contention. He's a little bit better going left-handed, and he he loves good ground. But he was, he was great to see yesterday. And the man who knows him best is on the line now. Nico de Boinville. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. And we can sit here and pontificate all we want. But at the end of the day, you're the person who sits on his back every time. So you're better positioned to judge how he felt yesterday relative to his last two three, four, five seasons. How, how did you feel it all went? I thought it went as well as we could have expected, really. Um, it was just great to get him back on track and showing, you know, something of his old self again. I, how, how long, in your opinion, riding him at home fairly regularly, did it take him to, to feel good enough for you to want to, to get back on him in a race? It, I think after the surname match, it took him an awful long time just to get back to himself and then we had the issues over Christmas with the abscess and and that and um, I think there were two massive blows to him and they took a bit of time to get over and um, yeah yesterday was a, a culmination of a lot of hard work and from a lot of people and um, you know it was just great to get him back to to where he belongs. From what Nicky Henderson says and from what you hint at sometimes it sounds as though he's quite a an expressive horse at home so you can tell when he's on song and when he's not really on song is that right very much so you know he really does tell you where he is and how he's feeling um particularly in his work at home um and he loves his schooling i mean everyone's seen that footage of his schooling and yeah. uh, he's electric over those fences but it's in his work really where you can tell exactly where he is yesterday he was just a little big over the first fence but then it seemed watching as though he, he was getting that economy back again at his fences. He was quicker over them than he had been perhaps almost since last Christmas. Is that a fair assessment? Definitely. You know, he was a bit sort of hesitant to start with and then he you know, got into more of a rhythm. And, um, you know, he did take a bit of a blow in between three out and two out. And that's probably where you saw that where I looked in a bit of trouble. Um, 
but I mean, his turn of foot from the last to the line was um, was the old Altior. Yeah, you say we we saw it as though you might be in trouble, but we've seen this a million times before, and we ought to know what the outcome is by now. From your perspective, did you actually ever feel you were in any trouble? Well, he did just go through that blow, um, and it was probably at the time where he has his flat spot as well. So the two of them compounded, and I, I probably felt for a minute that um, we need to, you know, be getting our getting our skates on a bit and, and getting going. Um, but you know, when I did ask, he did respond, and that would have given him a tremendous amount of confidence as well going forward. And has it given you confidence going forward as well? I'm not that you're a man who needs a whole load more confidence, but I'm, what I'm saying is, has it given you confidence in his task ahead, which even for his amazing exploits in the last three years is still a Herculean one, to go to the Cheltenham Festival again, win a third champion chase, and beat these young up-and-coming horses? Definitely. I mean, I don't think any of us lost the belief in him, those of us who deal with him every day. Um, but, you know, it is a, it's a massive task to go back to Cheltenham, there are some serious horses awaiting us, and um, it should be quite a spectacle, I think. Which of those horses do you have the most respect for, most regard for? Well, with Defi de Soy and um, Chac and Poursois, I mean, they're two very good horses, and they've been showing it all year long. So you have to have respect for them. And, um, yeah, it's, it's turning out to be quite a racing, I think. Does that make it more, more of a thrill for you, in a sense, that there are the young up-and-comers there to to beat does it does the challenge spur you on the challenge i, I suppose so um i mean Altior has been so dominant in that division for for quite a while now um that it's just a case of of, of seeing where he is really and it's i think it's exciting for everyone for all the racing public and and us included i want to talk to you about a, a young horse an exciting young horse who you rode in the sydney banks on on thursday shishkin um what sort of horse do you think he'll end up being? Do you see him as a as the next Altior in terms of his speed and ability? He's definitely got all the right credentials for that. Um, he's still such a big, raw horse. I mean, Gavin was down at the start with us the other day, and he saw him as well. Um, but the way he goes through his races, he, you know, he's got a very high cruising speed. He jumps very well. Um, and then, again, he seems to have this turn of foot, and he manages to put distance between himself and, and the others in a matter of strides. Um, so I was very impressed with him at Huntington. Um, uh, Nicky has been maintained, really, from um, the word go, that he's a horse who he thinks is going to be best kept to the minimum trip at the moment. Are you, are you of that view? Definitely. Uh, I came off Huntington and said, you know, I think we should definitely be having a crack at the Supreme, and I think everyone was in agreement, and I think it all sort of told its, its own story. And I know you didn't ride him yesterday because Barry Garrity is retained to ride him, but you'll have seen plenty of Chantry House. How impressed were you with his with his novice win at Newbury? I was impressed. Um, it was good to see him on that ground do what he did at that trip. Um, where where they go now, I'm not so sure. Um, but no, it's good. He's a lovely horse, um, and I've seen him, you know, a lot. And uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go. And I I was talking to Nicky yesterday, and he thinks he'll still have five runners in the in the Champion Hurdle. Uh, are you anticipating Pentland Hills being a big player still for all that he's tasted a couple of defeats? Definitely. Uh, I think he has got a massive chance in the champion. Um, I think the boss has got the key to, to the champion hurdle, so somewhere along the lines, you know, something will crop up. But uh, I, do, I, I still hold the belief that we can do it, and um, I'm looking forward to it. And what makes you think that? 
from what you felt this season? I think he's, he can only improve. Um, and I mean, if you go back to his triumph hurdle win last year, you know, if we can get him back to where, where he was there, I think he's in with a massive shout. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday. Always good to welcome to the studio the chair of women in racing, Tallulah Lewis. Tallulah, good to see you. Good morning. And you wouldn't be here unless you had something to tell me. I do, and I do. you have something important to tell me today. Very exciting. Um, we are starting a new project called mm. Racing Home. Um, and it is all about looking at working mothers in the horse racing industry. Of which there are many. Which there are many and make up a lot of our staff. Um, and then also women who want to have children at some point but need to navigate the minefield that is children careers how to chat to employers and everything that goes with it so we're really excited we've got some funding from the racing foundation mm -hmm. um the kindred group have also sponsored us which we think is really great to have such a kind of organization as them come on board and then also oxford brooks um who are going to do some research have also come in to help tell so, me a bit about the kindred group who are supporting you yeah so they um have uh unibet um red 32 mm -hmm. so scientific games so they're kind of in the gambling sector um and it's really great because they're really interested in sort of sustainability within the industry um, and the retention of staff so they were really excited to hear about the project um, one of their um, staff is a member of Women in Racing just through the sport and she heard about it and thought they'd be really interesting in helping us. So you're getting a major gambling conglomerate backing you and supporting yeah. you. What about the support that you've had from some of the racing stakeholders? Oh, it's been phenomenal. We held a symposium back in November uh, in London and invited sort of 40-odd stakeholders in the industry, kind of the BHA, the race course and everything. Suddenly had 60 people turn up who wanted to hear about this project and what we wanted to do. So it was really interesting. I think there's a real appetite to start having this conversation in the, in the sport. Um, it's obviously one that's a wider issue uh, across kind of all industries and sectors in the world, really. But the horse racing industry have really suddenly gone, ah, let's, let's chat about it and see what we can do. Right, so where are we now and where can we get to and how do we get there? So we're going to launch workshops. Mm -hmm. um, so the plan is, is that it's all about starting this conversation. Um, how can people start talking about, you know, the issues they might face as a working mother, how they juggle it, how they try and navigate their career. And we want to have this open conversation with them um, and, you know, women and men in the industry because it affects, it affects both um, across workshops. Um, we're having six across the country that are going to kick off um, in March. Uh, all across kind of the different regions, so up in Scotland, um, a really exciting one at Southern Racecourse on International Women's Day. I don't know if you saw, they're yes. doing the, the kind of all official... All, all, isn't it all female jockeys, flat and jumps, yeah. mixed card, and all mostly, yeah. mostly uh, staffed by female staff. Yeah, so yeah. a real showcase of females in the sport. And then in the morning, before racing kicks off, we're going to have a workshop on racing home and invite anyone who's going racing or anyone of the staff who are working there that mm -hmm. day to come in and talk about the topic um, so we can hear about it. Um, so it's really exciting and I think, you know, all the race courses that have come on board, we've got a workshop in Newmarket, um, down in Lambourne, you know, everyone has said, yeah, come and use our venue, we'd love to have you, you know, what can we do to help, how can we spread the word? Mm -hmm. 
because um, they're just interested in it. I think it's a, a key one for the sport to kind of recognise. So what feedback is your, is your research telling you from, from women in the sport who have had children, who want to have children, and the difficulties they face logistically and otherwise? Yeah, so one of the things we're really going to cover with the research, so Oxford Brooks, who did our um, other piece of research that we did a few years ago mm -hmm. on diversity and women in the sport, um, they're running this piece of research. We've got a really nice continuity there. Um, and they're going to look at um, sort of some of the issues uh, logistically that women might face, which kind of childcare, um, you know, getting to work, plus also, you know, putting your child in nursery or in school, the different times that you have to pick them up compared with the sort of morning stables, evening stables or stud work, and then the nine to five administration jobs. So covering all that aspect. And the idea from the research is to really get some data out of it so we can look at what solutions we could come up with. So we don't have the solutions yet, um, but we're hoping that kind of by listening to everyone mm. and getting their sort of case studies, that we'll be able to kind of suggest to the industry, you know, we think that this could be a really good solution that we could bring in. Um, we're working with the Diversity and Racing Steering Group as well, so that when we get this information, we can give it to them and help them feed it out to their connections. Because racing is a is a sport which has operates under irregular hours, do you think in some ways that could actually be an advantage where yeah. you are where you where you require some flexibility yeah. with your timing that, that it may not be a disadvantage that racing doesn't have rigid working hours completely and I think as a sport we actually could be leaders in this area because of our flexible timings um, also we have kind of regional areas where you know, a lot of racing is grouped, so Newmarket, Lambourne, Midlam, you know, we're kind of quite positioned quite well geographically to maybe bring in some solutions mm -hmm. because we've got sort of hubs around the country. So I think it will be really interesting to see what we can come up with and if we can kind of find some interesting solutions that might then other industry sectors could take and use themselves. Anecdotally, do you find that women are returning to work in racing having had children or not? Not. I think it's a tricky one. I think quite a few people we've spoken to have found it quite hard to navigate. I think um, some of the case studies we spoke about at the symposium and, you know, people volunteered their stories mm. were kind of, you know, if they'd been work riders, how do you return to work riding when you've become a mother? And it's a different process to kind of go through. And, you know, it might not be the exact same job you want to go back to. But is there something else at the yard you can do? And it's, it's being creative, um, I think, when they want to return to work. How are, how are employers responding to this? Because there's an onus on employers to, to know their responsibilities and to know the law in this, in this instance. Yeah, really well. We had uh, quite a number of trainers at the symposium. BHA were there, race courses as well. I think, you know, they're just in the dark as, um, you know, all the women who are going through this. I mm -hmm. think one of the key things we had on our panel was Suzanne Homewood, who she's a member of Women in Racing and one of our mentors, and she looks after Samsung Enterprises. And she said, as an employer, it's just as much as a minefield as it is for the employee, because it's just not a spoken about topic. You know, she was really interesting. She said, you know, I'd love an employee to come up to me and say, can I talk about the fact that I might want to go and have a child in two years and I don't want it to affect yeah. my job, mm. but I want it to work for both of us. Can we work out a way that we could plan my career over the next few years and factor that in? And she's really open to that sort of conversation happening as well. Because you don't have to go very far to know somebody who is, say, in their mid-20s to mid-30s who 
is yet to have a child but is starting to settle down into family life, and then they apply for a job, and obviously it's illegal for any employer to discriminate on that basis, but it doesn't stop it happening, whether consciously or otherwise. Completely, and I think it's it's just about having an awareness and a conversation. Mm. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could sit down with your employer and say, I want to keep working with you for the next five, ten years, but I also want to have children, so if you know we can try and do some planning it doesn't really always work that way but you know why not have a chat about it and not feel like you're going to jeopardize your career mm. for it and of course these children are the future of the sport Completely. potentially 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 so we have to be we have to be significantly <laughs> open minded how do you feel that the women in racing project is going since you took over from Susanna Gill um really well i think what's so nice is you know the industry you know is really behind women in racing now. You know, we've got some great organisation who just sign up all their staff. The you know BHA uh, British Racing School have signed up loads of their staff. So we're now beginning to get less kind of individual sign ups for membership and companies kind of coming in and saying, do you know what I really want to make this part of my employee benefits package? You know, all the women in the company, I'd like to sign up to women in racing because. We offer the mentoring program for free, the bursary scheme, and also the events. And they're seeing it as quite a nice way to offer their staff, you know, a little bit more of a, yeah. you know, incentive to become an employee, which I think is really great that the industry has suddenly gone, ah, oh, this could be a good one. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai to Lady Button's territory to catch up with the mighty Mayor Gordon Brown has been along to see her and her connections. Lady Buttonsville, what a, what a legend. I mean, she's a proper flag bearer and she's really put you on the map, hasn't she? Yeah, she's been a star and it's nice. Like We've had her since she were a fall, so it's, um, we're in a nice position that we know her very well. We've, we know everything about her, really and she's actually improving all the time. Yeah. Couldn't, really, couldn't really have got going without her, but, you know, she's been a massive help to us. And, I mean, listed winner at Toncaster twice. She's won a good race over fences as well. I mean, there's not a lot of difference in her rating hurdles and fences. She's actually rated the same now. They've put her hurdle mark up to 150, so she's 150 hurdles and fences. I think just because she's such a good jumper of a fence, just sometimes plays in the favour at the lower level, but now she's at the top level. They all tend to jump really well, so I think now... She's probably platted out that she's as good at either, I would think, now. So, Jenny, you're tacking up the supermodel. Yeah, I am indeed, yeah. Really lucky to ride her every morning. Yeah. And what is she like? I mean, she, she seems such a character, and you know her so well. Yeah, she is a, she's got a lovely character. She's, she's really easygoing. She's a, a fabulous ride. Um, she's very, very straightforward, to be honest. She makes your life easy. She had this thing about curling her lip when you put the, the bridle yeah, on her. Yeah, she usually does it every morning. Now the cameras are on and she's made one for fool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's, uh, she curls her top lip up every morning when you put a bridle on. It's, I don't know why, but it's just something she's done for a long time now. And we hear about these horses that produce the goods on the track and, and don't do much at home. I mean, what's her work like on the gallops? She, um, she On the gallops, she just does enough. She's, uh, she knows, she's, she, I think she's wise now. She knows when she's... She's galloping, she knows when she's just doing a normal canter at home and she's 
just perfect, really. And I mean, in a box with a solarium on, on a windy morning, I mean, I know, you know, humans yeah. don't get treated like that some places. I know, the odd day when it's really cold, I'm not going to lie, you'll find me in here just under there, keeping warm. But yeah, it's really good and it's, it's done a coat the world of good this season. Last season, she just had a funny colour to her coat. This year, she looks amazing. She's yeah. really shining. And it does her the world of good and the light at the back as well. That comes on early in the morning and gives her more daylight hours. So um, that's been really helpful as well. Our level never ever could have imagined anything like this at all. The following she's got, what she's done for us, and she's just marvellous. <laughs> and you say following, I've, I've seen of people wearing her scarves, scarves and your colours. Yeah, yeah, the purple and white. Uh, a year gone Christmas, my son got me one for Christmas, uh, and he got the men ties and we got little lapel badges, uh, and it just um, kicked off really. Uh, people were asking, uh, can we buy the scarves, can we buy the scarves? I think we sold 50, and then this Christmas I'm near to selling another 50. Don't make any money out, I just sell them for what I, what I buy them for. But And how excited do you and your husband get, and the supporters, when she's actually running and winning? Husband won't stand with me, because I'm a bit of an embarrassment, he says, because I just I jump every fence and then I just run, like the last furlong, I think I run as fast as her. Yeah. Just so, so exciting. You, you can't really put it into words how you feel, it's yeah. just like really... Just mega exciting for her. And she seems to quite enjoy the attention. Oh, she loves it, yeah. Yeah, loves yeah. it. Absolutely loves it, yeah. And I mean, one day, it'll be a one year day. or two, yeah, you, she'll be having babies. She will her, be, her, yeah. Her horse um, will be running on the track. Her husband's big into the breeding, so he's already looking through all the stallion books and everything. Don't know which one we'll go to yet, but yeah. We did say this season would be our last season, uh, but because she's had such a good season again, we need to sit down with Phil at the end of the season and yeah. just see if we go another year with her because I don't want her to end like on a negative note we'd rather no. her end on a positive She's in the Mayors at Cheltenham she's in the Champion Chase at Cheltenham she was fourth in the Mayors last year and at one point I think you remember saying to me you didn't think she would be even as close as that No I was disappointed how she travelled through the race last year she's a as everybody knows, she's a mare that travels really strongly. And last year, for some reason, she just she was beat too far out for me to think she actually did a running. So hopefully, if she does go that way, her forms, like I say, has been better than last year. She's travelling better. I'd be disappointed if she didn't travel stronger through it. And I think to finish fourth last year, when I don't think she was on her A game, I think it was a really good run. Yeah. Now we'll decide nearer the time whether she runs in the the chase or the hurdle, but we'll just see where everybody else is going and see how things pan out. Favourite food, favourite snack? I've seen her having uh, a biscuit this morning. <laughs> yeah. uh, she loves the carrots. She really loves the carrots. So, yeah, there's often bags of carrots flying around, so she has a few of them. But, yeah, she's, uh, she's a star. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiworld Dubai. One man who's very much part of the furniture in the national hunt scene and has been now for over two decades with consistent success and he's been uh, joining us this morning but has rejoined us to chat about life, the universe and everything is slad trainer Tom George. Tom, great to see you again um, and thank you for being with us. I hope it's not been too traumatic so far. No, we've been fine once we've arrived here uh, through the wind and rain. And I said you're, you're, you are kind of part of the furniture now. Do you, do you feel firmly ensconced, established and this is the way life's going to be for, for the rest of time or, or are there... Is there any sense of 
ambition and ambitions yet to be fulfilled. Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of reflected on driving up here today. Oh, Christ, I've been at this for 27 years now. So probably started when I was quite young, and it's been a long old process. Um, first four or five years, I only had five or six horses. Um, and I say to my wife, said, I think he said, it hasn't been overnight. <laughs> but anyway, we've got some very good horses now, and we're happy the way it's going. But it was, it was fairly successful quite quickly. Just to, tell me about the early days and what you were hoping for, what your aspirations were. Were you, were you thinking on a grand scale then or not? Well, actually, I was, um, spent most of my sort of working um, time in Newmarket. Mm. And I was more qualified to train flat horses than I was jumpers. And I couldn't quite weigh out how I was going to achieve any of it. So um, without any finances behind me, but father farming... I thought the best option was trying to learn a bit about the jumping, so I went to a couple of yards, big yards, I might say, to learn as much as I could, and um, started off just with three or four cheap horses for mascot sales. I could see that was the only way it could work without the finances or a big backer and everything else, and luckily or thankfully, um, we produced a few good ones on those first few horses, and it just slowly, slowly ticked along from there, really. So who had you been with in, in Newmarket originally? Well, my main stint was with, actually, was with Michael Jarvis, who mm. was was the best of his generation as far as I can see and as far as I know. Um, Certainly one of the most respected. Yeah, he was a great trainer to work for and an important part of my career as well actually. I often think back to what he would have done in these situations even though totally different disciplines. Um, I also had had a stint at the National Stud, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon, British Bloodstock Agency. So I had a fairly good grounding for the flat world and then I needed to learn a bit about the jumping. But, but was there no sense of you thinking, well, I've learnt all this about the flat, this is where I should be going? Yeah, but I couldn't see how I could do it. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't train a flat horse around a, a field in Slad and Gloucestershire, whereas mm. I knew you could train a jumper and could slowly build up from there. So it was the only option I had, probably. I would have, at the, at the time, I would have much preferred to have gone into a big yard in Newmarket, but that wasn't going to be, so I had to make my own way. And am I right in thinking Robert Cowell was one of your good early friends back in the, yes. back in the day and still is. Still is. I um, see a lot of Robert. Yeah, we spend a lot of time together. We worked at Gavin Pritchard-Gordon's together, speak regularly, come to stay with me a lot. Um, no, we had a lot of fun in Newmarket and we learned a lot at the same time. I'm sure you did. I guess you were lucky to have him there to, to keep you on the straight and narrow. Straight and narrow, yeah. <laughs> I think he might have sent me in the other direction, actually. Um, no, we had a lot of fun. I don't need to say too much more than that, but it was a good time we had. Um, and, yeah, it was great memories. And coming back home from, from Newmarket, as you said, you, you had the family farm there, and that's where, you could, that's where you could train horses. You went to Ascot Sales. What did you come back with? Well, one of the first horses I came back with was Newton Point, actually, who... Um, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon used to train, who I knew about, obviously, from when I'd been at Gavin's and kept a close eye on it. And I knew what all his problems were in Newmarket, so I thought straight away, right, he's the first one we're going to buy. Mm. I think we paid 3000 or something like that for him, top of the range at that, that time. And um, he won my first season at Cheltenham, and he just, you know, what we did worked with him, and it proved that we could do it. So then we, next year we had six or seven. So we just had to slowly build away like that. And, and how well equipped was the place for uh, a big yard at the time? I oh, know it wasn't. I mean, it was three stables, four or five stables. Father had always had point-to-pointers and hunters and all that sort of thing. So we had that. There was no gallops. Um, but you could just have to make it work. I, you, I could still make it work if I had that again. Um, you just got to get the best out of what you've got and work around what you've got and fr put in front of you. And, you know, the f after five years, we put in a small bit of an all-weather gallop and then... And just kept on improving the whole time. And how easy did you find the other side of the game, which is getting owners and 
you know, essentially selling yourself. Was that something that came naturally to you or not? No, probably not. That was probably been um, probably the hardest part of it. I was always most important part for me was probably getting the results, and it still is actually. Mm. Um, had to produce the right horses on the right day. Some people, you know, they'd love to be in London in the nightclubs and all the rest of it. Don't think I have a t- quiet times. I don't. I enjoy it, but probably not the biggest seller there ever was. Some people say that helps me a bit. I don't know, but um, so that's probably I've had to be. You know, it's all come through results and being straightforward and hopefully doing the best I can. And so, how many would you have now? We have about 80 in the yard. Probably slipped down a little bit at the moment. Um, I've never been worried about numbers particularly. Um, if something's not coming up to up to scratch, and we've done all we can with it, we move them on. Um, I like to think we don't leave any stone um, unturned with them. There's probably room for some more, um, but you know it's ticking along well. With, and we have got some very high class horses. Did you say you said it wasn't an overnight sensation? But you were training Cheltenham winners by the by the turn of the millennium. Um, Galileo, famously, not that Galileo, the other Galileo, winning the the Sun Alliance hurdle for you. Uh, had you already by that point figured out that? that this was going well enough to be sustainable? Yeah, I mean, very much so. Um, I always said sort of two things were, um, once the children finished <laughs> schooling, I'll have a review of the situation. So that was my first drive. I had to put them through school. Um, and I wasn't going to put any money of my own in it, which I didn't have any anyway. So it had to sustain itself. Um, and since then, actually, it's changed a lot that the racing keeps the farm going, but the farm keeps the racing going. And we've got a couple of holiday lets and things like that. So it all looks after each other. So I think we're in a good place now. So from a business point of view, it was, it was going well. And that's first and foremost how you have to look at it. But from a results point of view on the track, at what point did you think, yeah, this is working? This is, this is a, a viable business? I never had um, any doubt of my own ability to do it. Mm. But obviously a lot of other people probably did. Um, and I think it's just when you started getting the first graded horses through, you just go through all these different phases in your training yeah. careers. Start off with, can he train a winner? And then once you achieve that, then you've got to say, can he do it two or three years in a row? So you can achieve all that. And the next sort of big step is, can he train a good horse or mm. get a good horse? And the problem is the good horses don't get presented to you. You have to find them, and they have to find their way to you. So it's a big, you know, a lot of steps you've got to come up. So um, which was the first one you thought, right, I've got a good one here. This is a special horse. Oh, God, there's, it's a long time ago now, but there's been some good ones through there. Um, probably the, the first... No, I had some graded winners, but the one who... the only Virtually the only horse who came to me who I thought was a champion the day he arrived was a horse called Tel Messini, actually. He was killed at Newbury. He was going to be grade one the whole way through, whereas all my other top horses started with small beginnings. They started as, as low-grade handicappers and just kept on improving and improving. So he was the first one, I thought, from the day he first stepped foot in the race, I thought, this is the, what we've been waiting for. Just because he exuded class in everything he did? Well, yeah, he, was, you know, he, he won his graded races straight away. He was a character, he was bloody difficult. Um, he had his mind of his own, he was by Dr. Massini. He didn't used to come out of starting stalls periodically, and he had his own mind as well, but he was a very, very talented horse, which was different, and still is different, to a lot of the other ones we've got and have had. You mentioned Nakara early in the programme. He's certainly a great favourite of mine, and, and I'm sure a lot of people's, just because of the way he, the way he went about his business. Uh, on his day, when he had his conditions, he was a mighty hard horse to beat. Um, absolutely wonderful horse, and he's a testament to a lot of the people who've worked for me for all these years. He arrived with us rated 118, I think it was, from France. 
Um, Tony Dobbin rode him in his first race at Wincanton, and he was rated, as I said, he was rated that that day. And he said, this is a graded horse. So we, Tony was a good judge that day. He had 50 pounds in hand as <laughs> a transpired. And we used to think he liked soft ground because it was soft the day he won at Wincanton. But oh, he was a fantastic horse to train, and it was, um, we had a great time with him. Simon Clark, his owner, has been a great, very loyal supporter of mine, and we had some wonderful days together. And that, as I mentioned earlier, that day at Kempton, he was electric. He was great. Um, as I said, uh, before, Kempton was a big part of my life um, mm. in the racing world, and that good ground, you just loved it around there. And it's special when you can get a horse who likes Kempton. It does. You had many, you had many great years uh, associated with Jason Maguire when he was really finding his feet as a, as a rider. You sort of essentially produced him, and he helped to to make you. It was one of those great partnerships of the time. It, it didn't end great, but it, it, was, it was great while it lasted. Yeah, it was interesting. We get on very well with Jason. He actually lives two miles from me now, and I send, do a lot of work with him. Um, yeah, Jason and I have probably only had about a dozen horses at the time, and I thought, God, you know, we're going up the ladder a bit now. We need our own jockey. And Jason had a good record in Ireland, but there was a few things behind it as well, which he was a wild guy. And still, well, no, he's tamed down a lot now. Actually, you can't call him a wild guy now. <laughs> no, he's tamed down. <laughs> Lauren, his wife, done a good job with him. But we had some great times. He rode my first um, Cheltenham Festival winner. And the stories go on for a very, very long time with Jason. And we, we've got time. <laughs> he's a very, very talented rider. Unbelievably tough guy. When Jason didn't get up from a fall, straight away you knew it was bad. Probably is one of the toughest guys I know, actually, from a, from a jockey. He, he, if he didn't get up, it was very, very bad. Um, and he was a hard guy as well, tough, and he was a great jockey. And it did go, he was very ambitious, I was, and we had our little sort of parting of the thing when things weren't going quite right for me. But we, we were talking earlier, weren't we, with Gavin Sheehan, and he was talking about his, when, when Warren Greatrex found him and he found Warren, they were both, at, just that they hit the sweet spot together. And it struck me that that was a bit like you two. Yeah, very much so. We, um, as I said, we had a great time. And then when things, when you take a dip, it's a question of how everything plays itself out. Yeah. Um, and it's normally people pushing you from different angles which cause it rather than actually yourselves. Um, and it took its toll and it took a year or two for us to get on again. We get on very well now. And um, as I said, we see each other quite a lot. He's my next door neighbour. And so... He he essentially left you rather than the rather than the other way round. He sort of went and took a <laughs> I think different. He offer. left me, but I probably wasn't particularly polite, so he wasn't very welcome back either. But anyway, no, we got through all that. It was you know it was he was young. I was a great deal younger at the time as well. But both of us were fairly hot headed. I would have thought, and um, we worked our way through it. Are you are you hot headed now still or not? No, I can. I think I'm all right now. Actually, my staff <laughs> probably say differently. Now, I can probably take a, a crisis better than. Just a little thing will irritate me more than something which I need to really sort get my head around. I can I can cope with pretty well. I would have thought. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Very pleased to welcome Debbie Matthews to Luck on Sunday. It's not before time, Debbie. Your Go Racing Green campaign to make racecourses a safer, better more inviting places for everybody yeah. has really, really taken off in the last year or 18 months or so. Tell me how you feel you're, you're getting on. Uh, I, I feel it's getting there. Uh, I feel there's obviously there's still a long way to go. Um, there's still a lot more, I think, awareness and understanding that, that needs to, to be happening. But um, 
obviously for, for the short time that it has been going and, and how it developed so well, really purely by accident, um, then obviously, you know, I'm delighted with, with the support I've had. And an awful lot of you will have seen Debbie on ITV and, and, and Sky Sports, first time here with us on Luck on Sunday. For those people who, who haven't, mm -hmm. your your campaign essentially was sparked by, by yesterday's hero. Altier, yeah, wasn't it? yeah. Um, I'd been a racing fan um, only for for a few years, but um, due to social anxiety, I'd never been able to to actually physically go racing. Um, and I, I followed Altior, and I just put out a tweet in January last year saying I was gonna, you know, I was gonna beat it, and I was actually gonna go and see him. Um, and just the, the tweet just spiraled and spiraled. So that was on the Saturday, and then um, I was at Seven Barrows on the Tuesday, front of the Racing Post mm -hmm. on the Wednesday, um, and and that is literally how the campaign started. Because from that, just thousands of people started contacting me um, and saying they too would like to go racing, but they had various challenges, or people that they wanted to take had various challenges, and and how could you know how could we do something about that? And there's nothing like having absolute empathy with the people that Absolutely. you're then trying to help. And Absolutely. the fact that you yourself hadn't been able to go to the races at all. So tell me about the first time you then felt the the confidence and the warmth from people to be able to, to go racing. Um, I think really initially after after that tweet, um, the, certainly the, the requirement for, for what I've developed was there. Um, but also, as someone that was very new to, to racing and the racing industry, I suppose I'd always felt that it was something perhaps that you had to be brought up in. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was quite overwhelmed, really, by certainly the, the racing public and also a lot of trainers um, and stable staff particularly that, that reached out to me um, to, to sort of lend their support. And then um, Ed Nicholson from... Ki I know Tallulah mentioned yeah. that Kindred have supported her initiative. Um, Ed was on the phone very quickly and said that they were developing something um, within within Unibet, a, a sort of a, a community sponsorship model. So, you know, I was delighted. I, I certainly wouldn't be able to still be doing what I'm doing without the support that I've had from Unibet for the for the community element, which is for people that aren't ready to go racing yet, just having sort of stable tours and, and, and visits at yards so, so people that can get sort of hands-on with, with horses. And how are you enjoying a day at the races now? I saw you at Newbury yesterday, mm -hmm. and Altiel read the script for you, which was great. Yeah. So that obviously made the day good. Yeah. But how are you enjoying the whole race day experience and the social interaction side of it? Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I, I I still have social anxiety. I think a lot of people have assumed this has made me better. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be fully better, um, and certainly some race day experiences are, I, I find much easier than others. Um, obviously, uh, Newbury is a, a go racing green race course, so they have put put in place um, you know the, the things that have sort of come up top in, in what race courses are needing to do, as have Nottingham and, and Chester, and Salisbury and Carlisle are, are going to be the next two. So I'm in the process of working with them at the moment. Um, some courses, you know, that I have approached, I think there is still a lack of understanding. I think it's, it, it needs to be made very clear, you know, mental health is, is out there at the moment and it's being very widely talked about, but this very much isn't a tick box exercise. You know, this is people's, you know, well-being that, that we're dealing with. So, um, you know, there is still some barriers to break down, certainly, and, and hopefully over time that can be done. What is it specifically that you think people aren't quite getting? Um, I think, 
you know, with, with physical health, everything's very visible. Mm. With, with mental health, it's kind of all out there in the ethos and that there's so many different avenues um, and so many different challenges, you know, social anxiety, dementia, conditions like autism, ADHD, um, and where they all have common ground, they all, obviously with every individual, are slightly different. So, you know, for example, just creating a safe space without staff having any awareness training of how they might be able to support someone, um, and introducing sort of what I call tick box measures, such as, you know, uh, providing lanyards, for, it, for example, but then having no understanding of, of why why that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a much bigger picture um, and there's a lot of research gone into it. You know, I spent, I've spent 20 years working in accessible tourism um, and dementia tourism um, and obviously now getting real life feedback from people that live with these challenges daily. So your experience is, is really significant yeah. in, in that sphere because racing is a, a leisure It is, industry, yeah, so it is a tourist attraction exactly. essentially um, at a race course, yes. Yeah. So you should be able to teach the, the sport quite a lot. And it, it, it is heartening yeah. to know that there are race courses that have, have taken this up, but somewhat less heartening to know that there are race courses that don't really accept that it's something that they, they ought to be doing. What about the practical application of this for... For you, from your standpoint, looking through your eyes, when you go, go walk into a race course, what are you looking for now? What are you looking for and where do you want to go? Where's comfortable and safe and pleasant and enjoyable for you? Um, I think it really starts from the approach, mm. you know, sort of just the getting in in, in, the, in the first place. So you're looking at that arrival. How easy is it to, to get through? How are you being treated? Your bag searches and, you know, the manner in which they're carried out, etc. Um, obviously, each course is going to be different. So what's a, a quiet, safe space at one course is obviously going to be very much different to, to everyone else. And mm. um, and, it, and it's about looking at the bigger picture. So is that quiet space, does it have easy access to toilet facilities, for example? Because, you know, there's no point in having a quiet space, but then to get to the loo, you then need to walk through 20,000 people. So, it's, as a, you know, it's looking at pieces of a puzzle and making sure all the pieces are there. But the, I, I wouldn't want... Tell me if I'm wrong, but mm. you wouldn't want people to mistake that, that you, it's not as though you want to be shut away or segregated absolutely or anything not. like no, that. It's just, it's just about feel. It's about the way you feel, essentially, Yeah, absolutely. And essentially, I would say, you know, the majority of people in what I now call the gay racing green community, we are there for the love of the horse. So, you know, I, I think another perhaps aspect that isn't being seen is I am actually encouraging people to go racing. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah the totally, aim. totally. So, th you know, and when I have looked at, you know, funding sources for this, I, I have been met with, well, it's a commercial entity to a race course, but race courses don't seem to be seeing that. I'm actually trying to promote racing. We're converted, so you don't need to sell racing to us. We mm. want to come, um, and we want to be near the horses. Um, so just give us a little bit of support. We'll, we'll buy our tickets the same as, as everybody else. We're, we're asking for no, nothing, you know, no favours, um, just to be looked after. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.